Hi, I'm Gary Zacharias. I want to welcome you to the Apologist Bookshelf. Uh, Some time ago, in one of my early podcasts, I covered a book called How Not to Read the Bible, in parentheses, not, How Not to Read the Bible. Dan Kimball is the author. And it's subtitled, Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. Well, I think this time, instead of uh, covering some of those issues, I want to do something uh, out of the book that's a little bit more basic. And it's one of his early chapters, it's chapter 2, and it's called The Bible Was Not Written to Us. That seems odd, doesn't it? But he's uh, got a quote to start the chapter that says, We believe the Bible was written for us, that it's for everyone of all times and places because it's God's Word. But it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture in mind or our culture in view. So that's uh, Professor uh, Dr. John Walton who's an author and a professor. So that's an odd way to start it, isn't it? The Bible is not written to us. Wait a minute. Really? So we're not supposed to read it? No, that's not what he's saying here. He says, uh, there are passages that are hard to explain and and tricky in the Bible. He said, uh, there's some difficult passages here. And he says, but first he says, uh, let's just look at the Bible as a whole. And he spends this chapter looking at four major facts about the Bible and about Bible study methods that he's going to come back to again and again in the book. And he said, actually, that he hopes that becomes a way of our own reading of the Bible. So here they are. Four facts about how to and how not to read the Bible. And this is what this chapter is going to be on. Number one, the Bible is a library, not a book. Number two, the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Number three, never read a Bible verse. Does that sound familiar? That's from uh, Greg Kokel, and he acknowledges Greg. We'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Number four, all of the Bible points to Jesus. So here it is again, one more time. Number one, the Bible's a library, not a book. Number two, it's written for us, not to us. Number three, we shouldn't just read a Bible verse. And number four, all the Bible points to Jesus. So let's start in. Number one, the Bible is a library, not a book. And what's his point? That there are there are all sorts of diverse writings in the Bible. You've got history, you've got poetry, you've got prophecy, you have law. And it was written in three different languages over something like 1,500 years by a lot of different people living in different areas, coming from different cultures. So he said, uh, you know, as an, as an example, poetry. Poetry's not the same as writing history. Poetry uses words with rhythm or rhyme, and it's trying to communicate in a way to stir the imagination. He says, but history is written to be interpreted and understood quite differently. Okay, so he says, this is our Bible. It's a library of books written in a lot of different genres, and that's a French word that means different styles and and, uh, different ways of putting it together. And he says it was done at different times in history. And so he says, in the library of books that make up our Bible, you have poetry, you have history, law, wisdom, letters, to specific churches or people, and prophecy. Now, I've taught the Bible as literature, and this is what he's talking about. There are different literary forms, genres, different literary forms in the Bible, and we really should know what they are because we're going to get ourselves into, wound up into a real knot if we think of the library as, uh, sorry, as the Bible is just one book, not a library. And he says, uh, so for example, he says, uh, let's take a look at the first section of the Bible. What he's talking about here, that the Bible is a library. He says the first section of the Old Testament has 39 books. Okay, so that's a pretty good-sized library. And the second section is the New Testament. It has 27. 
He said the word testament just means a covenant, just an agreement. That's all it's talking about here. And he says that Old Testament is actually really important. It lays the foundation and tells the beginning of the story that leads up to the time of Jesus. He said, I generally call it the First Testament or the Hebrew Bible. So uh, that's a good way of thinking about it. So he says a library of 66 books, a lot of authors, and yet really just one. Of course, that's God. Okay, so I'm going to move past that one. Here's point number two. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. It wasn't written in any modern language, and it wasn't written with our contemporary culture and with all of our assumptions and all our values in mind. So the Bible certainly is a place for us to get instruction. It wasn't written to us, but has all sorts of insights and instructions for us today. So that's something we have to keep in mind. He said, uh, we have to change our dangerous way of reading the Bible. Well, what does he mean by that? He said, many people, when they start reading the Bible, want to know, what does this mean to me in my life? And if we view the Bible as just a message for me, he said, we're going to be in trouble. We'll focus on things that are nice and comfortable. And he says, here's an example of being all fuzzy and happy and all. He took Psalm 23 that says, my cup overflows with your blessings as an example. But he says, you know, not every promise or blessing is something we can directly apply to our lives today. So here's an example. And I've heard Greg Kokel talk about this as well. People uh, latch on to Jeremiah 29:11. He says, that's a really misused verse. So here's the verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But he says that wasn't written to us. It was written to the people of Israel. They were in captivity at that time, away from their promised homeland. They, they were just shattered and uh, feeling so down. But God's telling them, yeah, one day you're going to be free and prosper, but it's not going to happen for some time. So there's the background on that verse. It wasn't really for our lives. Okay, what else? So he said we need to stop and ask, who was the Bible verse originally written to and why? I thought that was good. He said maybe the Bible verses don't make sense to us today, did make sense to the original listeners. So there's a, there's a key thing, key thing to think about. Let's go to his uh, third section here of these four points. He actually moves it into chapter 3, so here comes point number 4. He starts chapter 3 with a quote by Greg Kokel. If there was one bit of wisdom, one rule of thumb, one single skill I could impart, one useful tip I could leave that would serve you well the rest of your life, what would it be? What's the single most important practical skill I've ever learned as a Christian? Here it comes. Never read a Bible verse. He said, that's right. Never read a Bible verse. Instead, read a paragraph at least. And so he said, when we're trying to make sense of the Bible, especially Old Testament verses where we scratch our heads or we say, well, that seems really strange. He said one of the most helpful phrases is, never read a Bible verse. And he credits Greg Kokel with that information. He said, now that's probably an exaggeration, but it's a point. He said, don't read a Bible verse in isolation. You've got to know the context. He says, quoting a Bible verse uh, in the old days, the Jewish people knew the Bible and they knew the context. Sure, they did know specific verses, but they knew the context. He said, today, when people quote a Bible verse, they don't know the context. Now, he said, uh, people today, and even many Christians, don't know what comes before or after a specific verse in the Bible. 
And if you just isolate, if you just pick a Bible verse out, and, and here's what I, if I can pop something in from what I have seen, is groups of people who have rejected the Bible uh, and, and gone off in some other way, some kind of sect or some kind of uh, cult behavior or whatever, they will take the Bible, but they'll take a verse here, a verse there, a verse somewhere else. They don't do the context very well, but they can isolate real well and find some verse that they don't really understand, and that becomes the basis for their organization. So he says a Bible verse taken on its own can be misunderstood, and then it can be used in all sorts of ways that doesn't have anything to do with what was originally intended. He said, you know, it's not just people who attack the Bible that do this. He said Bible-believing Christians do that too. They choose all the happy types of verses for their t-shirts and coffee mugs. So his third point now, never read a Bible verse. What do we what do we do? So he said, well, every Bible verse fits within some kind of a larger story. So when we read that verse, we want to do several things. Look at the verse. Fine. Okay. Look at the specific verse. Look at the paragraph that the verse is in. Look at the chapter that the Bible verse is in. Look at the book of the Bible that that chapter and verse are in. And then look at where the book of the Bible, the verse is in, fits in the Bible's whole storyline. So do you see you're progressively moving out and getting a bigger picture. So start with the Bible verse, fine. Look at the paragraph it's in. Look at the chapter that that's in. Look at the book of the Bible that that's in. And then where is that book located in the Bible? What does it have to do with the entire Bible? He said the Bible is a library, as he mentioned before, with all these different authors, but it does tell a unified story, which is really amazing. That story has a beginning, it has an end, has all sorts of plot twists and characters coming and going. He said, when you read about Jesus in the Bible, you need to understand he doesn't just pop out of nowhere. He has a backstory that began way before his birth in Bethlehem. There are hints of him that go all the way back to the book of Genesis, clear back to the Garden of Eden. And there's a promise made about him to Abraham. So he's there. He's in the Old Testament. We need to know that. He's in the writings of the prophet Isaiah. So he said, uh, we do need, we still need the Old Testament to understand Jesus. And he said, many of the laws that we read about in the Old Testament don't really directly apply to us because they're made under that old covenant. That was an agreement that outlined how certain people then would relate to God. But today, Christians are part of a new covenant. That doesn't mean the Old Testament is useless. I mean, we need to see the full story because it points to Jesus. He says, if you don't have knowledge of the Old Testament, you're, you're going to miss what's in the New Testament. And you miss knowing the fullness of God, the way he worked throughout the ages. All right, then uh, he's got an interesting chart here. It's too difficult to explain a chart. So uh, you can just take a look at that sometime if you get a hold of his book, page 44. It's very interesting. So here, he, what he's going to do at this point is tell us briefly the whole story of the Bible and how certain parts fit together so well. And I would compare this favorably to uh, Greg Kokel's book called The Story of Reality. And so Greg Kokel talks about four things that give you a big picture of what the Bible talks about. God, man, Jesus, cross, right? So those four things. Well, he breaks the Bible down into six acts. Act one is 
God creates and he dwells with his people. It's a wonderful universe that God creates, and humans are created to be in relationship there. But act two, not good. Humans rebel and you get fallout. It's terrible. They call it the fall. And the idea of disobeying God impacts everything, and they lose the access to God's presence. And we're still seeing the fallout from that today. We see violence and male domination over women and rape and abuse and polygamy and false gods, and it just, it's so sad. And so it's a pretty grim picture at that point. Act three of the Bible, redemption is initiated, and that's from about the mid-Genesis clear up through the rest of the Old Testament. So despite all of the sin and horror going on, God has love for his creation, and he remembers his promise of somebody who's going to come defeat the evil. And he reveals that he's going to enact a rescue plan through one family, chosen from all the people of the world. And eventually we're going to see Jesus, who's going to be born through Abraham's lineage. Uh, God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. He says his family is going to become a nation that's going to bring God's blessing to the world. And then God raises up a descendant of Abraham named Moses. He says that's the time period we see these laws that seem odd to us today that really confuse us. They were given to Israel commands like things like not having tattoos or not eating shrimp. All right, well, this is still part of the redemption being initiated. Then Israel gains kings, right? They, they go into the land that God promised, and even their kings that were set up, David and Solomon, the best of them, just fall flat on their faces. And the leaders of Israel run the nation into the ground. Israel is finally conquered by the superpowers of the day, eventually the Babylonians. And then, unfortunately, the people are exiled and uh, you have a small group called the prophets that warned the people. But they also made it clear to the people that's not going to be the end of the story. Then there's intermissions, like 400 years during which, no, which time no new scriptures are written. The Bible gets really silent. And then Act 4, redemption provided, right? That's Jesus. He enters the stage. Sometimes he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And we get four Gospels, and they present Jesus as the resolution to this conflict that we've seen. And the thing is, which is so ironic, people were expecting their Messiah to come as a military leader. He comes as a servant. And many of them just rejected him. They said, we want a, a powerful person. And well, they got the most powerful person possible. But that wasn't the way they pictured him. Uh, so we begin to understand Jesus is a human, but he's not ordinary. He's divine. He proclaimed he was going to bring God's kingdom back to the earth. He was put to death, but his resurrection sealed his victory over human evil. That's wonderful news. And Jesus says God's spirit will come to dwell in people in a mysterious way. And then Acts 4 ends with the resurrection of Jesus and he goes to heaven. Acts 5, Act 5, sorry, Act 5 now of this uh, picture of the Bible is the mission that everybody's supposed to carry to all the nations. After his resurrection, he appeared in the flesh and then he leaves, and we get the followers of Jesus that start some small communities called churches. We get Paul coming along. We get letters of instruction for the church, guidance for all sorts of churches facing things. And the church has a mission to live out the teachings of Jesus, to spread the word about him, uh, to, to let others know about the hope and forgiveness that they will have. And then Acts 6, rounding off the Bible, is redemption is completed and God dwells with his people again. Oh, amen and amen. Looking forward to that. It hasn't happened yet, but Jesus returns. A new creation is established. It's a recreation. God fixes all the things that went wrong 
makes all things new again, even better than they were before, because you're not going to have the potential for evil to infect the world. The world's going to be restored to the final fulfillment of God's purposes. Ah, it's going to be wonderful. So when you're reading, when you open the Bible, just keep in mind that storyline. So when you read a crazy-sounding Bible verse, know that it fits somewhere in that storyline. That's really important. He said uh, toward the end of the chapter here, I hope you're beginning to see it makes a difference knowing where a Bible verse that will fit into this big storyline. So uh, the last part of the chapter is his fourth point. All the Bible points to Jesus. And he gives the example of when Jesus, uh, after his resurrection, he's walking on the road to Emmaus and he spoke to two followers. They didn't recognize him. And he said, uh, didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things? And he starts with Moses and he tells them all of the things that had to happen to the Messiah. And it was like, oh, and the light went on. So when we read the Old Testament, the author says, Kimball says, we have to keep this in mind. Uh, people were serious Bible students in Jesus' day, and he warned them, don't miss seeing me in the scriptures. Jesus is shown as the climax. He's the main character of the story. So with those four concepts in mind, he said, now, let's pick up in the rest of the book and look at some of these um, crazy, bizarre laws. So let me just summarize real quickly four concepts that he has covered and that I've covered in this podcast. One, the Bible's a library. It's full of different genres, and we really need to know how to read it. I did teach a class in the Bible as literature. Uh, I'm getting some of my lectures put online. So when that happens, I'll let you know, and uh, you can take a look. Uh, I think you'd really enjoy looking at the way the Bible is literature. So number one, Bible is a, it's a library. It's not a single book. You really ought to know how to read these different forms of literature. Number two, it's written for us, but not necessarily to us. Not every verse. Third, never read a Bible verse, right? Get the context. And then fourth, the whole Bible points to Jesus. So that's powerful. And again, I'd, I'd highly recommend the book, Dan Kimball, How Not to Read the Bible. And he does spend a lot of time then getting into the verses that people will scratch their heads about. So thanks for uh tuning in and let's do this again. We'll do another podcast soon. Hope you're having a good day.